calling Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. We're in the St. Jerome Parish, conveniently located in the Sentinella Adobe Corridor, right next door to the Korean United Methodist Church. Leave a message and we will get right back to you. Thanks. Hi, honey. I just listened to your last podcast. I really think you have to let the other person talk. I think that's how that goes. Okay, but it was really good. I love you. Bye. Over time, the Olympics have consistently provided a stage to display the best that human spirit can offer. At times, the stories of the Olympics lift our spirits, and other times, the stories rise to one might even call a sports miracle. Chris Geeter McGee was a young man with a quick wit and a great enthusiasm for beach volleyball that found himself announcing the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing. And before he knows it, he's on the NBC Today show and on his way to eventually landing the position of studio host for the greatest franchise in all of pro sports. How about this? A young boy struggles growing up under difficult circumstances in post-World War II West Virginia, and he stares at the mountains in front of him, wondering just what is over those mountains. Jerry West would practice for hours in the sport of basketball, would eventually take him to Rome for a gold medal at the 1960 Olympics, and then to unimagined heights as the all-time icon of the sport. Or how about a Hungarian student, Laszlo Karai, caught up in the 1956 national uprising in his country. Taking up arms against the Russians, he was forced to flee his family and his country, and he landed in the United States. Laszlo worked his way to becoming a doctor and then raised a family, which includes a son, Karch, who, on his way to becoming the best player in the history of volleyball, would win his second gold medal as the U.S. men's indoor team defeated the Russians in the 1998 Olympics. Finally, consider the story of then 20-year-old Cliff Meidel, who in 1986 was electrocuted and burned badly on a worksite. Meidel dared to dream, and after 14 operations and 14 years, he had turned his rehab work into a passion, building himself into an Olympic kayaker. He inspired his fellow Olympic athletes so much, they honored Meidel as the flag bearer for the 2000 U.S. Olympic team. As Meidel led the U.S. athletes into Stadium Australia, he shared a moment with USA Olympic team surgeon Burt Mandelbaum, the man that helped him dare to dream. Do you believe in miracles? America! I'm a Venice, California-born, Los Angeles-based sports fan, one that has played, coached, announced, and promoted sports my whole life. My love affair with sports started in my own backyard and has led me to this podcast. Thanks to the support of the Amateur Athletic Union in East Bay, I'm excited to bring you Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Hello, sports historians. Welcome to Video Audio, podcast number 74 of Sports Stories with Denny Lennon, our three-part special on the Olympic miracles inspired by the miracle on ice from February 22 of 1980. This is our final part three, our fabulous producer of this Fab Four episode, because we got four people that we're going to uh, oh, yeah, put into the two. interview, is our own Miracle on Rice. 
Marley, Marley Rice. Rice. Yes. That's hilarious. Mm. All right, we're going to start out this Fab Four with one of my favorite interviews with Chris McGee. You know, he won a car on The Price is Right. So how can you possibly top that? You can by going on NBC from the Olympics. That's right. All right, let's listen to Geeter. Now you have a lot of moxie, my friend. Yeah, you kinda, kinda have took a lot it of to, uh, it, it might you, it, you, it probably how, helped me. How did you? It come got me every up job. With all of this. It might have got me every job. Yes. I, I mean, if you think about it, it's the only. It's it's it was, just, it was what people knew. I I, I you know stream, uh, for for people who haven't heard you do he, yeah. heard you do introductions for AVP yeah one they got to look it up two I'm gonna play yeah. one I'm gonna play just a quick one yeah, right yeah. here so so we kind of but um it's a stream of consciousness you know it's you funny it, it started seem like you could plan these the things. first time I ever went down there and did it on the sand was maybe year two well in year one I would go down with Jim he would be up top and I'd be down low and I'd be yelling at everybody and I would just break dance and have some fun and worm and do all this stuff the next year. We were at Louisville, Kentucky at a bar, and there was a court in the middle of the bar, uh-huh. and the bar surrounded the court, and it was an eight-team thing, and Hav were all there raging, and I forget, they, it was the finals, it was Witty, Witty and Canyon versus uh, Dax and Todd, and they're like, go down, go down on the sand and do the introductions, and I went down on the sand, and all of a sudden the TV camera was on, and I was yelling in the camera. And I introduced the guys because I used to do intros and I knew them all. So I would go. My whole thing was just go. And I would yeah. long intros like this, this. And I knew stats. It's, it's from the years of uh, calling my own games in the backyard. Like said. So I had all these things in my head. You would, you'd get very close to them. Oh, yeah. Right, right in their face. Them. And that's, it just, that's, but by the way, it so takes a lot that, of guts In that, that moment, I don't think I ever, I rarely ever did a final not on the sand again because TV was like, oh, we're going to start doing that. And then it became part of the show. And then it became like t- players would come out and dance so, with me. I mean, it just, it took a life of its own. So the, the one it got I, me the, on the, the, to the Olympics. The one I like is this one in Chicago. Yep. And, and it's a oh, da- David so Bowie song's playing. Can, I, can I, I tell you about this real quick? Please. So this, so, so, so I'm going to so pause know, it. But you under said pressure, yeah. I would do this. Before game threes in the final. Oh, I see. So game threes in the final. Okay. I loved this song. And it just started as a rant one time. Jeremy played it. And it took a life of its own where people would get to the finals and they'd be like, dude, you didn't do under pressure. So it started like, oh, my God. Like, Because you got to kind of. So mm-hmm. when game threes would come in a big moment, I would sit on this stage. I yell at Lance Briggs here from the uh, Chicago Bears. Yeah. And so you got a couple of Bears. And this is what yep. you do so well is um, – you, you will just start working the crowd yeah. while you concurrently introduce yep. and while you will give them a little tidbit of yourself. Yep. I think you say something to the effect here. You want to learn about under pressure? I'm the one who's got a little baby yeah. and, a, and a pressure and these people are going to be standing behind me. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> he starts laughing because I talk about him losing the Super Bowl. He's dying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the whole thing is I would build up the four players and I talk about the pressure of the moment and in that time my Millie was... Who, who plays in all the AAUs, and you guys all know now, Millie was a baby, and it was on that trip where we was like, I was you know, getting the stroller through, and this lady behind me was all pissed, and I'm like, do you even know what pressure is? Like, this is pressure. Yeah, this is pressure. The kid is, it got a poopy diaper, and I'm trying to get the freaking, I couldn't get the tr- oh, stroller up and get man. it through the, people so, are mad at yeah, you. so they and, thought and it was funny. You, you brought that in there? Yeah, I, I brought I was, it in there. So, yeah, you just and by the way, it's funny you say this. I started to do under pressures from the sand. They had me going down. So it just all took a life of its own. And what was cool about introductions for players is you're right there, and it would be in my ear. They'd be like, three, two, one, and NBC would start with me. I remember and that. And it would be me on the crowd. Now, you did that a whole lot more than, than I did. Um, yeah. I had um, 
basically was on tape with um, I was basically on tape with WPVA stuff. Yeah. So theoretically, if you screw up, you could do it over. But um, there was the times where we were either on CBS yeah. or ABC where I like that was intense. Yeah. Those guys are cursing. No, no, it's and they and you can't if talk you don't back know to it, them. Uh, Bob's and they're panicking. yelling in your ear. No, it's gnarly. It is. It's kind of crazy. It's, it's and they gnarly. keep talking while you're doing your introductions. They're yelling at you. How many seconds you have? It's it's. For, I mean, I was just young. I, I hadn't done that. I and, mean, but I, you me did either. NBC all the yeah, time. Here's the thing, like. When I first started, I, I didn't know any of that. Mm. I didn't go to school for it. Nope, During the year, I had no idea. First time I ever did play-by-play -play for Fox for a Pac-10 game, Polly McPeak, it was her first game. I had the producer yelling at me. I had no idea what he was talking about. Mm. I faked it. And, and he basically faked my whole career, and here I am sitting across from Denny. <laughs> but, but it's funny because that, those moments, a week later, we were in Beijing, and wow. I was announcing the Olympics a week after that under pressure you just saw. And Carrie and Misty were in the finals. This is literally, uh, well, okay, a week later we left. So a yeah. few weeks after because they're in the finals. So you go for that whole two weeks. Um, and it was pouring rain. And the Chinese player in the finals, gold medal match, she's down. They're down. And she knows Carrie and Misty are about to win. She goes for the medical timeout. She would always lay there like she was dead. <laughs> and, and, and there's a monsoon. It's pouring rain. And she's down for like 10 minutes. So I go out and I just start going. And I'm breaking. I'm yelling at all. I'm twenty thousand people. I'm doing my whole thing. I got. I got Vince. I got Vince Vaughn right there in the corner. I'm doing the driving the bus back to Cali. He's uh, everyone. It, what oh, I didn't know was wow. all the Today Show people were in the crowd. Al Roker, Meredith, uh, okay. their, their producers. So all of a sudden, I get a call that night. Well, they actually called the USA Volleyball, and they got in touch with me, and they're like, "They want you on the Today Show tomorrow night." What? After Phil and Todd's, if Phil and Todd win, they're going to be on as well. They want you on. They want you to introduce them. And I'm like, I brought one nice outfit. I swear I put this into existence. I dreamt this. I, I had a feeling. I had one nice outfit in case something good happened. Man, I put those slacks on, that shirt. I went. I was, I'd never been more nervous in my life. Wow. So I'm sitting there, and they taped it at night live at night so i'm in my truck i got a truck it's like the women's soccer team and me they had just won gold al roker comes in he's like gator awesome worm you did yeah i'm like oh my god what is happening and by the way we're about to go on and I'm, I'm just like and i'll never forget todd rogers looks over at me and he goes dude what is what is wrong with you i've never seen you like this i go dude i don't know like i'm, I'm freaking out so all of a sudden i walk up we're in a commercial they put the earpiece in and they're like we're coming to you and you're coming in. This is NBC. This well, is today's show. They give show. you like 30 seconds? Yeah, they're coming to you, and uh, and and, um, and Meredith's going to throw to you mm. to introduce Todd and Phil. So she, all of a sudden she's like, hey, guys, Todd, Bowers, Phil Dahlhauser, blah, blah, blah. They're like, we got a surprise for you. We brought an old friend. They already knew I was there, but throw to me, and I go into the whole thing. And what I'm did doing you, the what, player what, intro. What did you do? Oh, I did the whole, whole thing. I kind of gave their intro. I was okay. like, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, from the day he dropped out of the womb, the doctor looked at the nurse. The nurse looked at the doctor, and the doctor said, this man, named the thin beast, will dominate the world. And I gave it to Todd Rogers, and I did their whole thing. And, I, and I, all of a sudden, I threw the mic and did the worm. And I got back up in my slide. I looked at Al Roker and I, that was for you, Al. And I mean, it was like electric. Oh, and and I have goosebumps thinking about it because it was a moment that brilliant. I like literally dreamt of. And I'm done. And Meredith and Ann are like, oh, this is great. They're like, Phil and Todd are like, oh my God, Phil and Todd had seen it. A million yeah. times. So, so they're like, so they're like, and, and, and Meredith's like, aren't you going to miss him? And this is when it, this, this is when it hit me that people don't even have a clue about beach volleyball. We're, this is NBC. They thought they were going to graduate. No, she, she's, Todd's like, 
No, we're seeing him next week in Cincinnati. That's what he said. Like, we're on your air, dummy. Yeah, they didn't even know. So here's the deal. I'm like, now I'm like feeling good. I'm not nervous anymore. I'm like, it's the greatest night of my life. I'm going to go party my ass off. Let's go. And all of a sudden, I'm like, getting a hold of the wife. She's watching live. And all of a sudden, like, they come over to me. They're like, producers want to know if you'll stay the whole three hours. Oh. I stayed the whole time. I brought us out of break one time and gave intro. So they're like, we want you to do it for Al, Meredith, and Ann. And I go, well, then you got to give me infos. I want bullet points. What have they done while they're on this trip? Wow. I got bobsledding champion Al Roker. I got all the crazy, and I did full introduction Come on. for them. That is so but good. I, the last half you hour did. in Beijing, it starts with me, and I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the audience, and I'm like, it's the last half hour I in Beijing. Know. Yeah. Is I know. It, does this live somewhere? It's Yeah. I mean, it's it's, on, it's, I, it's, I, it's, I, it's, all, it's funny as I have it somewhere on a DVD. And I was all, I was funny. I was looking yeah. for it the other day, and I didn't I didn't go deep enough. But I, I think yeah. it, it used to be on a couple websites, oh. so I know I have the link. I'd love to Dude, see it. Dude, it was like one of my most famous. Did, did, did it, it? It was on my reel for years. Before you, when you got there and and you were hired to announce, yeah. did they know they were getting the full geeter, or were they trying to put a cap on what you did? Olympics? Yeah. Uh, that's such a good question. So, the guy, uh, the the um, Austrian announcer was there as well and we were supposed to trade off and he was a really nice guy but it was funny the head of the FIVB Angelo Squayo mm-hmm. he was he didn't it was weird he came to me at the end he, he like wanted me to do the finals I felt really bad because mm-hmm. I did the women I wanted Tom to do that so I just I ended up doing both finals mm-hmm. we were totally trading off until until mm-hmm. the end well you know these things but happen it happens the Olympics yeah and, and, well he was more like just like he wasn't the like Angelo wanted so, so I mean, so, when I went, so it was met under him a the jurisdiction before. of Angela because yeah. it, was, it was more FIVB than it was IOC that was calling the shots. The year before, okay. I went to Stad with my wife. She was pregnant with Millie. We went on a ten-day trip. We flew, <laughs> funny, we flew from Chicago um, over, and it was the World Championships. And I met with Angelo, and he mm. said, "Can you go do something for me?" And Jake Gibb and Rosie were playing, and I took the mic, and I went out in Stad. I auditioned for three minutes, and they had this guy, Sasha, was playing for Austria, and he was a monster, and I just went up to his face, and I was screaming at him. Those He knew who I was from AVP, but he never met me, but those Jake and Rosie were like, this is our guy. So I was just I was just screaming at him. He's a monster of a man, and I just got the crowd going, basically gave the mic back, and Angela was like, you want to do the Olympics? I'm like, I'm in. We went oh, on our way to Italy. Man. True story. Um, I got asked. I've been real lucky, man. Yeah. <laughs> I got to be know, honest. You, you, you talked about something. Moments, you said, you, I heard you say something about always say yes. Yes. And then figure it out, right? That's what I always and, tell college um, kids and high school kids. And say I, yes. I said no um, to the Atlanta Olympics. Um, In 96? Yeah, because they weren't going to pay me. Well, okay, then you're so, okay to say no there. But, that's but. Yes, dude. They were just going, no, 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 you come out on your own dime. Imagine that. Place. They're asking you to do the Olympics for free. And by the way, the Olympics don't yeah. pay much at all. I, but it's a more of grand, a, I wish I, I would have said yes. Back then, you know, and now my you uncle, look the back. boxing announcer, yeah. he said no to the first Rocky because no they way. weren't going to pay him enough. And gave it to Buffer? Or who did it? One of those guys? My, no, it was, if you've watched the first Rocky, it's some anonymous. No. Guy. But he's at uh, he's in Rocky three. my Uncle Jim. Dude. So I do have his action figure up there. But he said no to See, Rocky one. See, but that's one. hard, and Denny, he said, because he said, 96, yeah, you're, you're, you're trying to make a living, dude, also. Yeah. And like, but yeah, now you look back. Right. I wish I would have done it. But I didn't. I always wanted to do one. But always say yes. I, that that kind of hit yes. home. Okay, from the uh, studio hosts of the Lakers to one of the great Lakers of all time, Jerry West. But when I did the research, Marley, um, I was most interested in those 1960 Olympics. So I love his stories about that. Yeah, we have some original footage from that, which is pretty cool. Of Jerry cool. West being on the Olympic team. So enjoy this little snippet from Hall of Famer Jerry West. 
Newell would go on to coach the 1960 USA basketball team that would compete in the Rome Olympic Games. So after Jerry's senior year, during the Olympic trials and still unsure of his status, Jerry became reassured by Coach Newell that either both of them were going to Rome or they were both staying at home. The great Oscar Robertson of Cincinnati, Adrian Smith of Kentucky, and Jerry West of West Virginia, the United States Olympic team. Jerry regards his Olympic gold medal as the greatest athletic achievement of his life and Pete Newell as one of the great influences and mentors. I love the uh, the story of the 60 games. To me, you know, just looking back, uh, I love the Olympic games. And that seemed like the last time before, you know, drugs became an issue with any of the countries. It seemed like it was a truly amateur experience for, for most of the athletes. And also there seemed to be this um, spirit about those games in Rome. And, and I take it you feel the same way because I know you're, you're proud of your involvement in those games. And, and you've, you've mentioned that's your proudest moment was winning that gold medal. Well, it was the proudest moment for me. And I, th I think the biggest thing that made it for me is that there was so much going on in the world then, okay? There was the Cold War, yeah. the threat of nuclear war, the um, um, racism. And this was a bunch of uh, people from all walks of life who happened to get together and had one of, it was one of the greatest teams ever at that yeah. point in time. <laughs> what, a, what a team. Um, and to walk through these people who were professionals uh, was pretty amazing experience. And I never forget uh, <laughs> the speech that Pete Newell gave before the last game. Everything is cumulative points. In the Olympics, okay? yeah. <laughs> and we were going to play the Brazilian team. Everyone thought it was going to be USA against Russia. That didn't work. We beat that Russians in the first probably round the something. best game I played. Again, was against the Russians. Yeah. You, know, you just hated, at that point in time, you hated them. But frankly, I probably hated every player I played against. I <laughs> yeah, like right. right. And it was just Sounded something. I, I, I like these people away from the game, and I'm talking about in the NBA. But on the court, I didn't like them. Okay, yeah. It was my... <laughs> I guess, self-motivation. Mm -hmm. But uh, during that period of time, uh, as I say, there was just so much going on. But Pete's very stirring uh, pregame talk against Brazil. He says, guys, we can't lose this game by 71 points, okay? 71 points. <laughs> and I think we ended up winning by 55 or yeah, something exactly. like that. But this was truly a great team. Uh, we didn't play <laughs> half the Half yeah. the game. I bet I didn't play 20 minutes of the game, 20, 22, 24 minutes. I, I, the Russians, I played a little bit more. But yeah. uh, uh, most of our uh, exceptional players, and there were three or four <clears throat> there that I think stood above the rest, <clears throat> most of those people hardly ever played. Uh, we all played a little bit, not very much. Mm. Um, did you get a chance to see some of the other sports while you were there? I mean, I know like Wilma Rudolph. Rayford Johnson, Cassius yeah, Clay, I, these were... I saw them all. And oh, you did? Muhammad Ali was there. Wow. And, uh, you know, he was this so cool. character. You could hear him walking around the Olympic Village. Um, uh, you know, had his... Had his it, like, it was like dogs traveling with their master, and he was throwing him, uh, you know, dog bones and stuff. He was, he was amazing for a young kid, and obviously his career and uh, 
speaks for itself. But yeah. <laughs> I saw all of them. I saw all the Americans over there who, you know, they were, some of these track and field people, you know, you hear only about the Americans. You didn't, at that point in time, you didn't have all the information you have about <clears throat> sports throughout the world. And to see some of these names that were in Cleelites, okay, uh, <laughs> lose, it was amazing. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I'll never forget John Thomas, who was our high jumper. High jumper, yeah. Uh, high, everyone was talking about him. And all you heard was the Russians had three guys <laughs> that could jump over seven feet. Three guys. Well, he came in third. Ooh. He came in third. And... Um, Let's see who was the sprinter for us. Uh, uh, oh well. Oh well. I, I I remember a guy from Germany won it. His name was Armand Hari. Okay, yeah. Armand Hari. Now why I can remember that I don't know. I was there and I was like stunned that that somebody's moving what, like that. That that they lost. Stunned. Yeah. And everyone said that he <clears throat> that everyone said he cheated and you know started a race too soon. They proved they proved that he is fast twitch muscles were as fast or faster than anyone in the world. And he won yeah. the 100 meter dash. <laughs> uh, I do remember another funny story going over there. And at that point in time, they had these old, uh, the new jets that were flying. We didn't get one of those. We were one of those <laughs> twin props. Four, <laughs> four engine, I think they call it strato liners or okay. something like that. And I was sitting in the back of the plane and I weighed 172 pounds, and I was right be between, in the middle seat, between two American shot putters. And these guys <laughs> all weighed about, so they kept the They all weighed about, oh, 280, and I'm here like this, thank God. Uh, I never slept one minute going over yeah, there. They I, was afraid, I was afraid they were gonna crush me in the middle. <laughs> From the great Jerry West to perhaps the greatest in the history of a sport, I argue that anyways, Karch Karai. Yep. Olympic in beach volleyball and indoor volleyball. Two in, uh, yeah, two in indoor, one in beach. Nobody's done that before. So let's hear from Karch. House skates, I, I heard him um, talk a little bit this one time, and I guess you might have been on the national team maybe as early as 79 or something. And he spoke about uh, going to Japan for a game, but and you played on the concrete. Do you yes. remember this? Um, yes. That's wild. Uh, uh, in those days... Um, the regulations in college volleyball were different than they are now. So um, now you have certain periods where you can train and compete and all that, and you're limited to 20 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And then you have periods where you have no time, mm -hmm. and then you have periods where you get eight hours a week. Well, in those days, there were no limitations at all. So the first day of school at UCLA was the first day of practice. Okay. And we would practice five days a week, and we would lift, and we would do everything else. I'm lucky again that there were no limitations because it made for more mm -hmm. uh, time for all of us to develop as players and physically. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had a really long season, but Al would break it up by um, he started taking us on foreign trips. Oh, we okay. went to one to Taipei for a tournament in Taiwan and another one in, um, I think it might have been in maybe January of Oh, 81, maybe before my junior year, we went to a tournament in, or a series of matches in Japan. Mm -hmm. And it's a really memorable series to those of us who participated because um, 
we played against four different university teams okay. and then the fifth match was a match against their university all-star or all-american team okay and so when we got over there um the i think we struggled in the first match we might have lost that one uh, just because you know we're barely off the plane just get off the plane played, yeah. a, played a good team they, they certainly were better than us than we were that day uh, but after that match, uh, there was some talk amongst the Japanese, like, "Oh, we feel sorry for these this American this UCLA team. They're going to get killed if they lost to that team. Uh, most of the teams are going to be better." Um, but we went on. I guess two things stand out. Number one, we just kept getting better and better and better, and so we won against the other three existing college teams. And uh, then we get to the final match, and we played in the same gym that the Tokyo Olympic Games were held in on a concrete floor. It was it was enclosed? It was enclosed. But a concrete floor. A concrete what floor. The heck? And so it was amazing to play in the same venue, sure. getting goosebumps again, uh, as the birthplace of Olympic of indoor volleyball. Sixty four. Which were in the year Twenty twenty, where we're going to go, back. Th where the Olympics goes back for the first time. That's but awesome. the Japanese brought indoor volleyball into the Olympics. They did for both men and women. So mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know it, but that was the first women's team sport to enter oh. the Olympics before soccer, before softball, before basketball, Terrific. before okay. rugby, field hockey, anything. Volleyball was the first. So that would have been a thrill to be in sport. that venue. So it was a thrill to be in that venue. What was the dynamic? So you, once you graduate UCLA and then you go to the national team and you're going to train for the 84 Olympics. Um, so Doug Beal's coach. And was there a, uh, like a, a mandate you couldn't do both? You couldn't do beach and indoor right now or something along these lines that those guys either didn't try out for the team or, or can, I, I kind of, I never was clear on how come those guys weren't on that team. Um <coughs> Once the USA men moved to San Diego mm -hmm. early in 1981, the, the year-round National Training Center set up camp. It moved from Dayton, Ohio, out to San Diego. And so in the summer of 81, the summer of 82, I, uh, a number, in, in May of 81, a number of us went, uh, went down to a big tryout. Mm -hmm. um, Sinjin, Tim Hovland, Mike Dodd, Steve Sammons, me, Steve Timmons, Pat Powers, like yeah, lots of really good players, of good players, amazing players. And we all made the team. Um, and so we spent some time with the team. And then a number of us who were still in college would go back in the fall and then uh, look to plan to go back to USA. Uh, but Doug made it very clear that um, we were ranked 19th in the world at that time. Mm -hmm. And we had so much work to do, he did not think that us spending a lot of time playing beach volleyball was going to get us where we needed to go. Okay. Uh, we didn't take very well to that. We I resisted it, uh, for sure, because we felt like he was, I don't know, um, caging us in. We normally had weekends off, but he kept us so busy. And we were traveling and competing a lot, so we didn't have a lot of chances to play. But in the rare ones that we did, I maybe played one or two tournaments in four years. Okay. 
Looking back on it now, I think Doug made the right call because we won the gold medal sure. in 1984. And we had a lot more learning and developing to do as an indoor team than as a beach team. A lot of us had played a ton of beach volleyball. The other thing he said was, I am demanding, once you are out of school, I'm demanding a um, uh, basically a complete commitment to this program. So you can't be with the program part-time and go play a summer of beach volleyball and expect to come back. That's okay. a big part of our season. We're busy at that time. So you're either with us or you're not. You also can't go to play in Italy or in, in some of the other professional leagues and expect to come back. So um, some of the guys just um, had other interests wanted to go play overseas or play on the beach and play more part-time, and that was not acceptable to the program. Those of us who stayed with the program um, committed on a full-time basis, and the others were not able to do that. And like you say, the uh, 84 was an unbelievable moment for the sport of volleyball to see that happen. Um, and one of the things I found interesting is, you know, one of the things was, well, well the Eastern Bloc countries weren't there, but you had just beaten Russia. And, and you had done particularly well, like 36 and 8 or something, against all the other formidable teams, right? So yep. you'd proven yourself over and over again and then won that gold in 84, and that had to be quite a moment. Um, it was an amazing moment, but it was not the strength of the tournament that we wanted it to be, that anybody wanted it to be. The best team in the world for seven or eight years had been the Soviet Union. Uh, and they were still the number one team in the world. Yes, we had beaten them. Mm -hmm. But the story behind that match, uh, we went to a four-match series with them in May of 1984, mm -hmm. just a couple of months before the Olympics. And it was either May 8 or May 9. I don't have the date straight. It was one of those two days. But we're playing them in the first match of this four-match series. And... We're pumped because we're in this battle, and it goes back and forth, and it eventually goes to a fifth set, and we win. And it's the first time wow. in 16 years that the USA men have beaten oh, the Russian men. 16 years, wow. So we're going crazy in the locker room and thinking, oh my gosh, would this be amazing to get to play the Russians in the finals, in the gold medal match, two and a half, three months from now would be incredible. What we didn't know, and we heard it at first, but we didn't believe it, but at, based on some information we learned later, as sometime that evening, the Soviet Union announced their boycott of the Olympics. So I think what happened, if I, with the best information I have, the Russian men's team, some of them might have learned about that boycott before the fifth game in the break between the fourth and mm. fifth game. However it was, whether they mm. learned about it before the fifth or after the fifth, um, right after the match, Doug Beale learned about it, and he didn't want to tell us right then because mm. we're going nuts in the locker room just thinking this is we, – we, sure. we're on our way. We're, we're close to arriving now. We just beat the number one team in the world on their home floor. They were crushed. The Russians felt awful for them. They were a good bunch of guys. We got along with them, had a huge respect for uh, re mutual respect between mm -hmm. teams. 
But then we just beat them like a drum the next three matches because now they were not able to compete, no matter what lineup we put out there. Um, but Doug learned right after that match and did not tell us in the locker room, told us uh, made, you know, we had a team okay. meeting the next morning, and, and he let us know. But it, the, the tournament was fantastic. We won. We were thrilled. It was uh, higher than our expectations. Our hope was maybe to get some kind of medal of any kind. Mm -hmm. But also it was not a full, um, a full field. And that's why some of us decided to stay for another four for years another four so years. that we could play a tournament that was truly the ultimate test and did not lack the, the Soviet Union, Poland, Cuba, and some of the other great men's teams. Which was, of course, 88. Now you're playing on the beach. And um, w did you have to qualify via the world tour at this time? Or was it because the entry was a host country? There were two routes to qualify for the first ever Beach Volleyball Olympics. One was to play on the international tour, mm -hmm. which is now the only route. Which is the only route. But in its infancy, um, everything was uh, not as clear as it is now, understandably, because it's the first time. And a lot of us were committed to playing a very intense and full-time, full, you know, from March to end of September, early mm -hmm. October, AVP season, 25 mm -hmm. events and all around the country. And really good players sure and so most of us decided well we don't want to leave our tour and stop supporting this american tour we want to continue its growth and mm -hmm. try to fuel it by having the best players there some teams left and uh, so did not compete on the avp anymore uh, Carlos Briseño and Jeff Williams were one of those teams, mm -hmm. and the other, the best of those teams was Sinjin Smith and Carl Henkel, mm -hmm. and um, and so uh, that led to a lot of um, disagreements and mm -hmm. bones of contention because we had so many good AVP players, we felt like. They all deserved a, a shot to be there, but the route was if you were really good on that tour or the best American team on that tour, you got straight in. So Sinjin and Carl got straight in that way. And then the rest of us went through uh, the only, as far as I'm aware, the only Olympic trials that's been held. Yeah. And it was in Baltimore, of all places. Sure. Um, and so it was a really fierce tournament. I'm all these great players, Scott Akatubi right. and Brian Lewis, Ricky Ludes and Brent Frohoff. Much and more difficult route. Yeah. And, 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 and it was almost like the uh, track or swim trials yes. where you have to be good on that trials. Yes, you do. This or not you a don't cumulative go. thing. Yeah. And so Mike Whitmarsh and Mike Dodd had a great trials. They actually won the trials, even though we didn't play it out. They won the winner's bracket, so they were already in as one of the top two finishers. Okay. Didn't play the finals of the tournament because they were already in the finals of the tournament. And then um, and they beat us. And so Kent, Steffes, and I had to work our way through. We got a huge break at the end because Randy Stoklos sprained his ankle mm. in warm-ups in mm. one of the late matches. And so we beat him, uh, beat Randy and his partner, Adam John. Uh, pretty easily, thanks to Randy yeah. not being at close to full form, and ended up um, competing in the Olympics. And so we were lucky. We had three American teams. Three there. American teams: Sinjin, Carl, Mike, and Mike, and Kent and I. And uh, nobody really understood outside of that wasn't paying close attention to beach volleyball that whole backdrop on the qualification, which made that game that you guys had in the first round of the playoffs, I think, against Sinjin, take on a different level, and then some justification for American domestic play 
by you guys playing in the finals against another American team? It was um, probably one of the most intense matches, if not the most, that I played for sure. Again, there was a lot of political disagreement between the AVP and the FIVB, disagreement about the way we qualified teams, disagreements about lots of things. And so we were, a lot of us were really frustrated that a third AVP team couldn't be in that event. Right. Um, I was popping off too much and, you know, downplayed what, what kind of a team Sinjin and Carl were, you know, basically saying I'm not sure they even belong to be here. Or maybe I would just say they don't belong to be here. Uh, they don't belong in this tournament because they uh, avoided the trials. But as it turns out, they played a great Olympics and did deserve to be there, contrary to my opinion. And we ended up battling them, and Kent was just the star of the Olympics and, and carried me to victory there. Um, we weren't playing our best game, and a lot of it was thanks to Carl and Sinjin playing so well. Mm -hmm. But we squeaked one out, and we were really happy to because our hope and plan all along was if Mike and Mike, our good friends from the AVP, Mike Dodd, Mike Woodmarsh, mm -hmm. And we could keep winning. We wouldn't meet each other till the final, and we could have an all-AVP, all-American exactly. final. But if we had lost to Sinjin, that would have screwed that the whole thing up. Wow. We barely squeaked that one out. It was a great win with a lot of... Um, a lot of layers of stories underneath there really it. really was. And people still call it one of the classic beach volleyball matches of all time. I think you can find it on YouTube. Uh, but then we ended up playing uh, Mike and Mike in the final, and it was fantastic. We, none of, we didn't even really want to have a winner. We just were so happy to play each other and show the world that at that time, the Americans are, are the best in beach volleyball. Did it hit you prior to or after that suddenly now you're the guy who won two indoors and a beach? Gold, did did that whole conversation come through your head at all um, prior to that? Did you see where that would be a unique historical type of thing? I wasn't thinking about it at the time. Um, I think as time goes on, it's probably going to be a little more difficult to do to win a mm -hmm. gold in each discipline. Mm -hmm. And soon, there's a lot of work to try to add snow to that. So now can <laughs> somebody win <laughs> snow, beach, <laughs> indoor? But I think the ultimate would be, and of course this is going to happen, or I hope it happens someday, to blow all the records away, is I would love to see somebody, male or female, uh, be so good that they're both on their indoor team and beach and win gold at the same, at the Olympics. same Olympics. To work out the schedule just like they do for swimmers, you know, how Michael sure. Phelps, they figure out how to set the race, uh, the wow. schedule so that they can contend I'll for put, more. I'll so. put Catherine Plummer up for that, but I bet the Who Olympic knows, uh, women's it, coach might not want to have their player play. Uh, maybe not me, <laughs> but, I, but, you know, if somebody's good enough, like yeah. think of Misty May. Sure, she could have. Uh, completely dominant indoors, yeah. willed that her team to an undefeated season and an NCAA championship in 1998. Didn't spend much time indoors, enjoyed the beach a lot more. Um, and, and her three golds, yeah. uh, also playing in Sydney and falling short of a medal there. But somebody like Misty May, maybe a setter, something like that, I could see potentially somebody, um, like that. Yeah. somebody so good and so valuable to her team indoors and beach that i could see a coach being open to that okay thanks to karch and uh you know it's uh bert is coming up dr bert mandelbaum we sat down with him right at the onset 
of uh, COVID. Yep. And when our uh, stay-at-home orders had been issued, it uh, was the next day, I think. Yeah, so, what an incredible man that guy is. Uh, source of such inspiration and education for us. So here's Dr. Burt Mandelbaum. I always say in life, appreciate the hmm. championship. Appreciate the highlight, whether it be whatever that is, that you were you had you were the star on that team or whether <laughs> you get that part in that play or you mm -hmm. got that job that you wanted. What is your championship and highlight that in your life and celebrate yeah. that moment because not every day in this life that we call human life is about championships. But when it happens, you must celebrate it, enjoy it, <laughs> nice. and take the lessons and, and enjoy it to the best possibility you can. Cliff Meidel is one of my favorite people of all times. Um, as a 20-year-old, he had been on a summer job and on an excavation site, and he's working, and they're excavating, and he just comes upon this power line and gets electrocuted with 50,000 volts. Wow. Heart stops. My he, goodness. He gets resuscitated, and the lower portion of his body is burned such that we have to do 14 operations. 14. Myself and Dr. Malcolm Lesavoy, the plastic surgeon, operate on him. And he was an amazing kid. He was from Torrance, California, brought up like everyone else on a summer job, athletic but not really an athlete. And at that time, exactly that time, we had another patient by the name of Tim Daggett. Gymnast. And Tim Dagnett, we all know about Tim because Tim is now the face of USA Gymnastics at the Olympics. For Commentary NBC. and so forth, yeah. But he won a gold medal in 1984 yeah. for the American team as a gymnast and was part of the UCLA team. And in 1987, while competing in the World Championships in Rotterdam, coming off the vault, he breaks his leg, has a horrible injury, and it goes on to injure his blood vessels, develop a compartment syndrome, and he comes back from Rotterdam for me to take care of. And we do several operations, and that's in November of 1987. And he wants to compete in the Olympics in Korea in 1988. So we have between November and July. And we have to be able to qualify in Salt Lake City at the trials in April. So literally, we have from November to April, that six months, that he can compete in the trials. And uh, at that time, we do everything we can to get him ready. And one of the contacts he has is with Cliff Meidel. With Meidel. And what... In, in, in wherever your space is, rehab and so forth? Yeah. They, okay. they come in contact with him. They're both active patients. They're rehabilitating. And Tim taught me something that I had never known before. And I said, Tim, we can't do this. It's not enough time. And he looks at me and he says, Doc, you've got to learn something from me. And he says, what's that? He says, you have to dare to dream. And he pointed his finger at me. Wow. And from that moment on, I learned the concept of daring to dream. Hmm. Dare to dream. And it resonated me in me. Jeez. And it resonated in Cliff Meidel, the same concept. And so Cliff Meidel, and that's the story we're telling, 
was an individual who, because of his legs, he's missing half of his knee and they're covered with flaps and he kind of limped a little bit. But he said, well, I can't really participate as an athlete, but I'm going to start rowing. And he became part of outrigger rowing mm -hmm. clubs and yep. rowed and rowed, much like Forrest Gump, uh, <laughs> and rowed and rowed and rowed and rowed until he made the Olympic team. What? In 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 1996, what? he made the Olympic team for Olympic kayaking. What the heck? And he didn't have any great accolades in winning anything, wow. no gold, but not the Paralympic Games. But the Olympic Games, here was this handicapped individual competing in the Olympic Games in rowing, and he made the team. That was in 1996. In year 2000, at the opening ceremonies in Sydney, Sydney yeah. he was selected to carry the Olympic flag. And that one moment in that one stadium, wow. I was there watching, and when he looked over, Carrying that flag oh and all those memories of all those 14 procedures and the concept of daring to dream came forward. Jeez. And there he was. And here's an individual who truly was not the winner. He never won gold or silver, but he was a victor and a victor in his journey. Jeez, that's intense. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Great story. Wow. Well, thanks for tuning in to our Olympic Miracles special. We hope you enjoyed it and have a great week, everyone. Thanks for watching and listening. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is produced by Christine Jinbo and me, Marley Rice. Directed by Chris M. Alport with studio support from Alpha Command Unit and shot by bad boy Bobby McCall. Original music courtesy of Lennon Music Production and original images courtesy of Sienna Lennon Photography. A big thank you to all of our contributors. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc. You can find us on audio platforms everywhere and the High School Narrative iOS app. You can also view Denny's shows on Roku, Apple TV, and Fire TV. Make sure to press that subscribe button, give us a review, leave a comment. It will really help us grow the show. Hey, you know what else would help us grow the show? Hustle on over to patreon.com slash Denny Lennon to get some never-before-seen videos, pictures, interviews, and more. We are all over social media and constantly sending out clips on Facebook, conducting fun polls on Twitter, going live on Instagram, and more. To find all our social media links, hustle on over to sportstoriesdl.com. SSDL proudly supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation and the Heroes Movement. The My Stuff Bags Foundation, with the help of thousands of people across the country, provides children in unfortunate situations with new belongings and new hope through its innovative My Stuff Bags program. Heroes Movement is a nonprofit that bridges the gap from therapy to getting strong again through small group workouts for any veteran of the United States Armed Forces for free. Links to how you can support and help these foundations can be found on our website. We want to give a big thank you to our partners of the show. So, as Coach Lennon would say, any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email me, Marley, at info at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Sports Stories thanks all of our followers and listeners. And we will, we will see, see you, you next, next time. time. Hey, thanks, Marley. Thanks, Chris. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Cause I watch sports stories night and day. 
Oh, I believe in sports stories. Mm -hmm. Kick it out, book!